0: Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie. And I'm Gabe. And we're the Menchwarmers. Every two weeks, we'll be sending thoughts from our brains right into your ear holes about the world of Jews in sports. Join us if you want to hear about who hit more home runs this year, Jock Peterson or Alex Bregman. Or maybe some interviews with staff and athletes from Team Israel on their way to the Tokyo Olympics. Or, sadly, if you want to hear us break down the latest anti-Semitism scandal in professional sports. Which one, Jamie? Well, unfortunately, there are plenty of those. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or at thecjn.ca. Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben-Murkey. Welcome to Yehopitzville on the CJN Podcast Network. Uh, You can always get the information you need in terms of what the podcasts are at thecjn.ca. So if you're looking for me or the others who do them, then please feel free to go there and go there for the chat room as well. And uh, CJN is back and strong and fabulous. I have to say, the magazine came out at Passover and it was just so refreshing. I'm not just saying that because I'm in it, but because I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the format. So uh, lots to look forward to there. You um, the Hope It's still is a show where we talk to different people about what it is to grow up Jewish, not in the epicenters of Judaism in uh, Canada, not to be in Toronto or Montreal or even Winnipeg or uh, even Vancouver. It, this is about growing up Jewish in places where there's not that many Jewish people. So uh, in this case, we're going to be talking about London, Ontario, with a very dear friend of mine, Uh, but I'll introduce her in a moment. A little history of London, Ontario, in terms of uh, Jewish history. 1871, there were 35 Jews in London, Ontario. Uh, One of them was a man named Isaac Helmuth. Uh, He came from Poland. He didn't stay Jewish, though. London did something to him. He converted to Christianity and became the first Anglican bishop of Huron. So clearly it didn't travel overseas with him (laughs) as a way of life. Uh, The B'nai Israel congregation, this is classic, split into two different uh, communities in 1906. You know, it just reminds you of the old joke. And why do you have two two synagogues on this uh, deserted island? I wouldn't go to that synagogue if it was the last place on earth. So that's what they did. They split. Uh, That split lasted 60 years, by the way. They were both Orthodox synagogues and they both became conservative. Uh, each with its own Talmud Torah. So this happens. Uh, It was also the home to a lot of, uh, I guess what you'd call red diaper babies, anti-Tsarist radicals who had left Russia and uh, had brought their radical ideology, radical, they brought their socialist ideology with them. So they weren't particularly involved in London's religious practices, but they did make really good contributions, including um, a free loan society, which is a wonderful thing so that people could actually borrow money with no interest on it. Uh, But by 1969, the community had grown to 1,500 Jewish souls. There are now approximately 2,000 Jews living in London, and uh, they have a Jewish day school, two Hebrew schools, a community center, three synagogues. Not bad. Hamilton has 5,000 Jews, and they have pretty well the equivalent to what that is. So with less than half that amount, London is really been a vibrant Jewish center in Ontario, one of the people who grew up there i 've had the pleasure of being at one of the synagogues there to give a talk once and had uh, dinner with both her parents at the time uh, and uh, they just never stopped felling about her and her sister, who was happened to be sitting at the table, so we made sure that 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 happened uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, Aviva Chernick is the woman i 'm talking about Aviva. Um, I I can't say enough about the contributions she's making to Jewish life, not just in uh, Canada, but in the United States as well. Renewing it, bringing love and soulfulness to it, uh, does a lot of leading of services, of really exploring the cantorial traditions of Judaism, uh, and brings her, her presence to everything she does. So she's my guest and a pleasure to have her here. Aviva, how are you?
1: Ralph. Nice to
0: be with you. It's nice to be with you. So I had—I didn't know that you had been brought up in London, Ontario, until I was at that table with your parents and thought, oh, these are Raviva's parents. Okay. Um, what was it like to grow up in, I wouldn't say a minuscule uh, community, but in a small Jewish community? What, what, what was that like?
1: Well, it's interesting because <clears throat> clearly this program was named by a Torontonian that's my first comment because for the people who grow up in small jewish towns cities i mean it was a city it's not there's no for me that's what i grew up in i grew up in the warmth of a very connected community i was surrounded i was ensconced in jewish life walking down to day school and to Shul, which was a side by each for a long time, and um, you know, it doesn't occur to you when you're in it that it's uh, small. It's yeah. just that it's connected. And the differences when I moved to Toronto, mm-hmm. I mean, many, many differences. But one thing that just right away I want to, the, to tell you is that one of the major differences is that you know, the people in the Chaver Kedisha, like like a small thing, which is actually a huge thing. When I moved to Toronto sometime after, so I did train in the, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, musician, and I trained in the cantorial arts, um, and started leading prayer. And as I went along, I, I thought, I think I'd like to join a Hebrew Kadisha. And a Khaver Kadisha is the those, the group of people who care for, um, prepare the bodies for burial. And in London, it's a group of volunteers. Now they do have to train and they have to be vetted by the head person who's, who has a healthcare background, either medical or nursing background. Um, but you know the people whose bodies you are caring for. And I got to sort of slide in there for for my bubby when my bubby died and sit by her body like while it was being washed, not just away, you know, at the funeral parlor, but right there with her. And then I realized, oh, I've moved somewhere where people are paid to do that job. I mean, I'm glad they have the work, but also I might be doing it. It might be a group. It's likely a group of women, maybe for me, when I die, if I'm in Toronto, it likely will be a group of women who've never met me before. That's okay. It's uh they're doing a deep, um, a deep chesed, you know, a deep loving kindness, deep act of loving kindness. But that's a, one of the things that strikes me the most about coming from a place where, when people die, everybody goes to the shiva. You go to the funeral. You just show up. You just show up because even if you weren't close to them. You knew them, or you went to school with their daughter, their grandchild, and um, in a smaller community, you you stick together in a way, not to block out others, I think, in a way, uh, mm. but to to support and lift each other up because there's not such an abundance of Jewish options. So that that's maybe that's maybe the first thing is a closeness, and I saw that in a way when I worked. Um, I'm, I'm no longer working as a chazam, but when I did, I worked with a Shari Bethel congregation in Oakville, a very beloved yeah. congregation, and I felt that same thing. You know, for the B'nai Mitzvah services, for the celebrations, they just, you know, sometimes there was catering, but often people baked. <laughs> like, you bake, you bring things. You're not just, you know, you're just, it's it's less passive because... You have to do it for each other. There's also, in London, there's no kosher butcher. So my mom got her meat from Hamilton and still does. You can't just go out and get, if you keep kosher, you can't just go, first of all, you don't go out for, depending on your level of kashrut, you don't go out for dinner or you don't go out for meat dinner. You wait till you're in Toronto and that's a becomes, that's a huge treat. So when we'd come to Toronto, we'd go out and always have whatever, you know, shawarma, like that was the big thing. So, I mean, as, as you can see, I just got started, but I could kind of go on and on at both. No,
0: please do, because to me, <laughs> what I'm hearing is uh, if you're Jewish in a place where there's 2,000 Jews, um, it's personal. It's not impersonal. If you're in a place with 190,000 Jews, like Toronto, um, it's different. It, it, it You can choose to do something with it as a Jew, or you can just leave it alone. But if you do it in London, everybody's involved and everybody is connected. So that makes me think, what made you... I mean, that's not the same thing as it really immersing you in a Jewish life and deciding to commit yourself to it the way you have. Was there something about the London experience that just made it an organic flow?
1: Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Such a great question. It's a great threading through because the... I think the depth of Jewish engagement I mean certainly that's also just a gift from my parents not to say every Jewish home had the same uh, level of engagement different you know different levels different kinds of entries into Judaism and that was really important for my parents and they also really invested in all of us going away to have experiences so we had larger circles of Jewish friends so USY um so Jewish youth group camp Ramah, Jewish camp um, and so, um, I guess I would say that when I went away to school, I went to York to study theater and I had a really strong experience of internalized antisemitism. I was just like, I'm not Jewish. Like those people are Jewish. I don't want to have anything to do with them. The the school was filled with Jews, but I felt no, you know, I didn't identify with them. Why not? Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see what, like, it's interesting. I haven't asked myself that in a long time because I think if I told you at the time, I would have said something very unkind, like they're spoiled and they use like they're speaking sort of a bit of an accent and and they're loud and obvious. And I think that's what's internalized anti-Semitism It's just like I didn't wasn't used. I was used to identifying as Jewish sharing culture. I was always once I left the day school, which I'm happy to tell you about because I think that piece is really important. Yeah, yeah. The London Community Hebrew Day School, which my bubby and Zeta helped found, my parents supported. Also, by the way, my bubby and Zeta, the Walenskis, helped to start that first, one of those first conservative shuls. Yeah. So, you know, it's like really embedded. But um, I think um, there were, I was comfortable being sharing that I was Jewish. I didn't have fear around it. I, I was just authentic with all my friends when I went to public school. There weren't a lot of Jews. I would just say, oh, we're having Shabbat. I could tell you about it. Come to this thing. Come to that thing. What I was not comfortable with was something about the cultural piece um, that I've been unpacking as an artist all these years. What do you mean? Well, I think, I mean, my my theory about it is that it has something to do with kind of uh, where my family went, the the trajectory of where my Family went into Zionism and left the ghettos behind, and that the whole Yiddish Yiddish culture, that piece in my family, got sort of uh, buried, and the Zionism came up, and Hebrew came up, and Yiddish went went away. Anything that called ca- um, called attention in a uh, that part must have felt unsafe to me. I don't think I had the awareness that that's what was happening, but in more recent years, I I realize that's for sure true, and I I just um. I felt uh, like they were other, and I think I also just needed to part from, to make some, not to part ways completely, but to make some separation between me and the Judaism that I grew up with in order to experience Judaism anew as an adult, and so I think those years in university, there was a separation. I didn't actually take, I didn't go on to do another practice. I just wasn't interested, and I think that's part of individuating and-
0: yeah, yeah. Totally. that that That's a normal organic thing totally. to be able to move away and say, okay, now I, I got to make this mine. Right. But I'm now thinking about, like, <clears throat> I've spent time in London, oddly doing stand up, singing, acting, all these things when I was younger. I, kept, kept, I was in London, like, way too many times. Two things. Unbelievable amount of snow, like, unbelievable amount of snow. Like, you walk down the street and four or five feet high on either side of you, literally, like tunnels you'd have to walk through. But the other thing was, this was a serious white Christian town, right? Like, this is not a multicultural pot. This is London, Ontario, the insurance capital of Canada. Like, it was seriously, and, and much of it middle class, but... The right, right downtown, there was lots of drug and poverty and things like that. But the rest of it was, you know, well to do, white and Christian. So to hear you talk about the cocoon you lived in as a Jew, you know, with a Jewish day school and a Jewish synagogue and, uh, USY and all, all these pieces, I get. But how did you see yourself in the larger milieu of London itself?
1: So when I, so the day school, the Hebrew, the London community, LCHDS went up to grade six when I was there. Um, I think when my sisters were around me, I could be wrong about this, but maybe it only went up to grade three. So that was actually an improvement, but you know, there were five of us and I think that was even like a split grade five, six. So there weren't a lot of kids. Right. And luckily for my education and my spirit, I think I got to go to a public school where I experienced other people and. Like a larger world, which was really important. And that's where I started making, you know, friends who were from, I was going to say from all around, but they weren't. They were white, Anglo Saxon Protestants, really like mostly across the board. A few other Jews, but mostly uh, some Anglicans and some Protestants and very wealthy. Not all, but often um, from right. families of great affluence. And, uh, mm-hmm. So I remain sort of held by my cocoon, but also learning so other social skills and kind of, you know, interacting and also doing all the things you do when you become after age of bat mitzvah, kind of twelve, thirteen, and meeting people and all this, all the fun things. But I think I um, I think that that was useful for my life. Because when I came to Toronto, I think when I started to make close friendships with Jews here, I realized that a lot of the Jews here didn't have friendships with people who were not Jewish. And it was very limited. Social experience was very limited.
0: Isn't that ironic, though, right? Because there you are in London, and you feel like you had a more expansive ring of friends who weren't Jewish. And then you go to Toronto, where there's millions of people, and you felt like Jews talked to Jews.
1: Well, that is definitely my experience, that Jews talk to Jews. I think it's more, now I, I certainly have chosen friends who have expansive views of the world and have made a strong commitment to expand their circles, not just to, yeah, everywhere, like to really mm. expand on how important that is. Was, now, there, was,
0: yeah. was there a negative aspect to being a Jew in London? Did you encounter anti-Semitism from people to, or just the wrong kind of ideas or comments?
1: So somehow I have not... Um, experienced a lot of direct anti-Semitism. Somehow, like even, like I'm thinking about, um, I started doing theater, the Little the little Theater, the Little Theater, I think it was called. Anyways, we um, started learning with Kip very young, and I went to, you know, so Hebrew school, theater classes. And I remember this girl, we were in the dressing room, and she said to me, I was you about being Jewish. I I think I didn't know... I don't know that I knew to be afraid. Well, which is good. <laughs> um, uh, it's good, but just interesting because somewhere along the way, I decided to start being afraid or my tissues told me to be afraid or my parents' legacy or, you know, right. their experience, you know, what was passed down to me. Anyways, well,
0: what did she say in the so dressing
1: said, Yeah, exactly. I said to her, you know, oh, something about being Jewish. And she said, you're Jewish. You don't look Jewish. That's the only, like, when I remember. That's it? Yeah. And I remember saying, like, well, what? <laughs> what, is it, what is your perception of what did you you know i didn't know but at the time it was it was uncomfortable and i realized as i tell people to say that's what your that's your soul but it's not the soul experience it's just that i have jewish friends who grew up in london who would have the greek kids i don't know why it was the greek kids but the greek kids would throw pennies at i had a friend right. they throw pennies at them while they walked down the hall and certainly as I got older, I got more aware of a sort of underlying anti-Semitism, just in, in 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 perceptions. I certainly got it in the arts community. It's very subtle. I'm sure I could get in a lot of trouble to say so, but it's there. Like it's it's a it's a felt. I, I can speak to it as a felt experience, and I'm sure I could pull up the pull up the pull up the you know some of the examples. But for the most part, I have I feel grateful that that's a piece that just hasn't Mm. come in such direct ways but but I think I also there was a certain amount of hiding so it's like I've been out as Jewish I don't know how how to put this it's very strange I'm okay to be out as yeah. it's again it's a play between the religious piece or the observance piece and then the cultural piece so there are places where I don't get into that I'm that I'm observant or that I uh, that I practice Judaism. Right, right. And there are places cuz it's now there are places where it's only cool to be culturally Jewish. <laughs> then right. there are places and some of those so I do notice I I often am still doing a strange thing where I'm kind of um uh, compartmentalizing and just not being my full in my full self cuz I feel like it's not I can still feel like it's not comfortable for other people even the Jews
0: Sometimes, right, right
1: especially the jews <laughs> but yeah, let's, be, well, let's be honest as, yeah, yeah. as you also as a spirit you know a deeply spiritual practitioner it's like there's a lot to navigate people's wounding jewish wounding is is really so, so it's encumbered their experience of Judaism can be very encumbered understandably
0: yeah so when you think about it in terms of you know being in a place like london with two thousand jewish people there must also be a um since you, like you said, everybody knows everybody, there's two sides to that. There's the the wonderfulness of everybody knows everybody. So they're part of a community. And then there's the desire to conform because there is a community. And it is an answerable community. So did that shape you in any way?
1: Well, I think this is the part where I get to tell you that um, all the great, you know, uh, the things that would have been hard and that, that were hard, but that were also, I had incredible role models. Um, and this is like actually slight digression. I'm holding your question, Ralph. But I'm also, you know, about the influences that I took with me, like starting with my chazan, Allah shalom of blessed memory, Yossi Freiman. like is one of my major influences. I didn't realize that till years later when I started saying like, I think I need to lead Prayer. Oh my gosh! I know all this. I know all this material. It's like it's in my cells. It's it's deep within me. I don't have to learn it. Of course, I had to relearn lots of things. But- <laughs> Um, so I, I want to say that's a that's something that I didn't catch from before. I, but then I think of somebody like my mom. Um, first of all, my dad was in the choir. My bubby was in the choir. I'm just seeing like the examples. My parents were like the head of the ritual community, the president of the shul. They were always out at something for the shul. And my mom was part of the movement to move the shul towards egalitarianism. So I actually grew up in a shul that was not egalitarian, which is sort of unfathomable to me. And yet, that's just the movement of, that's the yeah. movement of progress, of evolution. And my mom taught me, she was a very aridite and strong leader who said, change is slow and you need to just keep walking the steps. And she was part of the group of women who put on Teleto at prayer shawls, got up there and she's the Torah reader for the shul. At the age of 82, she reads the entire Torah reading whenever they meet and um, so I grew up in a Judaism that had a lot of rules and it was very restrictive. <laughs> and I think that was, I'm going to, I'm going to partner it with the beauty, but it, I also grew up in a place of a lot of rules and I had to go away to university, let it all go be wild in my arts training and let it all fall away. And then I had to discover it again. So I went to university in 89. In 2002, I always credit my dear friend, Rabbi Aubrey Glazer, for directing me to Elat Chaim, which you'll appreciate, Ralph, Mm -hmm. to the Jewish Retreat Center. Like, hey, I think you should go to this place. And then I was like, I think I should try out that place. That just all of a sudden, I started to explore. I just started to encounter that there was just another way to experience Judaism in my body through my unmediated emotions with a voice unencumbered by people's notions about how it would have to be as a woman and now as an adult, as a queer person. And that was not available to me. It was nurtured in some ways through a deeply beautiful love of Shabbat and family around the table and lots of singing, uh, trips back and forth to Israel where my sub and safta lived, and, and, and very rigorous um, attendance at synagogue and keeping of Shabbat. You know, so there's and all the all the festi- all the festivals and all the festivities. You know,
0: did, did it feel restrictive at the time, or did it feel like? I think it. What you're saying makes me feel like it. It, it was both. It, it was a blessing, and, and it was a bit of a curse. But because the first part of what you talked about was the the loveliness of the cocoon, but you can't have a cocoon without the structures of halacha. So, there you go. Right. You know, if it's completely secular life that you've been living, then there was nothing to push against, push against when you went to, to York, you know, in, um, That's right. I think it's in the, um, the Amish or, or the Mennonite, there's a, I think it's the Amish, a year of wilding. So go, go crazy and either come back and be in this community, which has a million rules, or don't come back. But first you should go, Go crazy.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I would definitely say it's not by chance that I'm an artist. It's not by chance that I moved through the theater and modern dance and found my way to using my voice. And it's just, and, and, and I train also rigorously, but in a form that is about freeing the unmediated voice because I was given a legacy of such beauty that had so much suffering in it and guarding and fear and also love. And also celebration, like really knowing how to celebrate, but just within a structure of rules that didn't exactly fit. I don't think exactly fit for me. Or as you said, at the time, I don't think I knew as a young person. Actually, it was a good container. It's just I had to, I had to, uh, push against the walls and then I had to break some of the walls down. And then I had to not just break the walls down, but had to let them melt and become no longer walls just have them be right. like a big beautiful universe of of that that Judaism is uh sort of one of the things I pi- the pivots I I pivot around inside my body I don't know I don't know if that makes any sense actually
0: circle around it
1: it's like it's like inside it's a now it's just a it's sort of an inside uh
0: Solar it informs
1: system. <laughs> exactly well it's I would say it's it's a it's part of the rooting system
0: Right, right, you know? right. And right.
1: then I'm free on top, like a root, like a reed. Excuse me, like a so, reed in the water. You know.
0: So, if you had stayed in London, could you see? Could you have seen yourself evolve into a renewal, queer, Jewish, spiritual leader that you are today? Or would you have found yourself constricted from that conversation and thought, "I'll just keep everything to myself and show up at Shul once in a while."
1: Well, if I weren't still in London, I would be closer to my parents. (laughs) And that makes me wish I were still there. Uh, My family's still there. And uh, um, so that's, a. I know they're not that far away, but in this time, it's been quite hard, actually. But besides that, I can't imagine it having happened any other way. I needed to go away. I just needed to uh, discover my own voice outside of those structures in our artistic community. And also I did that very much supported by my family like, really kind of unbelievably supported, you know, as best as as best as best they could in terms of uh, understanding what the heck was going on in the wild, like, avant-garde theater that I did without my clothes on and my modern <laughs> dance pieces that, you know, were just, like, images and, you know, it's like, I had, to, I was like, this is cool, you should not, you're not allowed to go to any more, what did I say to my mom sometime, like, I would criticize her, I was just so... So full of it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who's the, who's the playwright? Uh, oh my God, Jewish playwright, Neil Simon. So right. I'd be like, you know, Neil Simon would be playing at the grand theater in London. And my parents had, had a subscription and, you know, my parents were, um, incredible pair of, uh, they've, of, uh, trailblazing pioneers in the field of marriage counseling and sex therapy. And I lived in with them that home, where all this innovation was happening in that field. And, um, you know, my mom did counseling with a lot of people who are really suffering. And she said, when I go to see art, I want to escape. Well, when I was in theater school, I thought that was like the lowest. (laughs) the low. It's like, you have to experience the tragedy and the trauma, (laughs) the drama. And, you know, everything was avant-garde. They, you know, they came. And even my bubby, God rest her soul, bless her soul, Bubby Rebecca Walensky. She came to all my stuff. They brought her from London to Toronto. She had gone to the Met. She had seen Sir Lawrence Olivier. She had watched Martha Graham dance. My Bubby came to watch me do all this stuff that, frankly, I was not really very good at. And she would bring a box of um turtles, you know, the chocolates.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was it.
1: She'd bring the turtles to every everything no matter how much shite there was in it so there was i'm it's great to reflect on that with you ralph because i'm just lucky so blessed you
0: know i mean it 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 moves it away from physical location and geography into family right. right you just it's all about the fact that your family uh their love wasn't confined to a place that you were in and if you left you left and that was that they 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 followed and supported your journey. You know they mm-hmm. loved you, and really and it didn't matter. So, you know you could have grown up in. Uh, I was talking to Howard Glassman, he had sixty Jewish families in Moose Jaw. You know, but he loved his dad and his mom, and he'd go see his dad, and they'd talk about golf, and they'd have a good time together. And really, it was about. And my dad lives there, and I live here, but it's about being Glassmans at that point. It wasn't about. Moose or Toronto. And I guess you're telling me the same thing. What would you say to somebody? We're going to wrap up, but what would you say to somebody about living in a smaller uh, population of Jews someplace in Canada? What advice would you give them?
1: Well, I guess I'm thinking the term band together, which is not sort of language that I normally would be drawn to. But I think I think I feel that still from friends like friends who are living in <clears throat> Peterborough, you know to we're trying to st- stimulate community and who have had experiences from elsewhere and see what the possibilities are, but it's slower because maybe people have less have had less exposure. but just to trust that change is slow, but it's happening all the time, and that you can bring yourself to the kind of Judaism you want and you can bring that and find like-minded people. And just like you and I know, you start a small group. You start your own small group and you meet and, and you let it be nurtured. You nurture it and you let it be nurtured by maybe by also being inspired by things happening outside of your town, which is like, God bless Zoom, right? Yeah. Because it's like we're all attending beautiful things. So often I'll say to people, you know, it's a good idea to attend something elsewhere. But also for people in Toronto, please don't think what we have here is what is Jewish, like what is jewish this is Judaism cuz actually Judaism is much more uh, it has it's a much greater spectrum than what we have here it on beyond zebra like on beyond toronto and montreal whatever we think is the epicenter so i i'd say find the like-minded people and and nurture the thing that works for you and and i think i would say to any jews anywhere it's just it's worth taking the time to notice what keeps you stuck in your relationship to Judaism, like it's worth just taking the time to notice how it's, it's encumbered the space of wherever that Jewish experience lives. And ultimately, you might decide to kind of free yourself of it and let it go, maybe of the pain, maybe of the Jewish experience. But until you engage with what your experience of being Jewish has been, it, it will be occupying a space in you that could be filled with just living and joy. And something else that's waiting to be born, so wherever you live, <laughs> I mm. think it's worth renewing the experience with Judaism all the time, however, it turns up.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Mm.
0: Not with expectation, but with curiosity.
1: With curiosity,
0: yeah. So, tell uh, what, what are the latest uh musical offerings that people can find, and yes. where do they find it?
1: Thanks, Ralph. Um, so Oh uh, yes so my album came out um not that long ago la serena that's the most recent album it got a canadian folk music award nomination it was a tribute to nona Flori jagoda um my adopted nona and mentor who died just this, this past january mm-hmm. so um it's got ladino judeo spanish folk music and um also some original Hebrew music so I would say to go to my site avivichernot.com and then you can see where to get the music or on Bandcamp also um, I lead a community called Neshev. you can just look that up Neshev.com. N-E-Y-S-H-E-V and we meet twice a week and uh, it's meditation and we come and I do some teachings from Torah from the Omer we have beautiful guest teachers and we sit together and it's a very beautiful evolving developing growing community
0: so What's it called again?
1: Writing. It's called Nechev N e y s h e v. Okay.
0: Well, I, fa-
1: I guess. Sorry, I realize I sh- I would say the last thing is actually I am the artist in residence at Beth Sedek Synagogue in Toronto, and that's an interesting evolution because <laughs> I grew up in that really conservative place, and I'm back in a conservative synagogue where I maybe never imagined I would be. But but I see that change is happening all the time, and that's exciting to be a part of.
0: Well, my friend, I thank you for your time. Uh, I know you have other things you need to do. Uh, Aviva Chernik, um, you can find her at av- avivachernik.com. Uh, and there you'll find the Serena and uh, more information about how to uh, keep in touch with a beautiful soul doing wonderful Judaism, enlivened embodied Judaism. And I wish you nothing but the best, my friend. Thanks, Ralph. Great My to pleasure. Be with you. you too. This is Yohoppitzville on uh, the CJN Podcasting Network, as it were. And you can find out more at the CJN.ca if you're interested. Um Yehopitzville is something we do twice a month. And there's lots of other offerings as well. Uh, subscribe if you so desire. In the meantime, take care of each other. Be well and be safe. Bye.